So welcome to the Investment Cuddle, episode 19. I'm Gary, and today on the podcast, we're going to cover Debenhams, or retail more specifically. So try and understand what's going on in the high street. For many of you, you'll have either heard of Debenhams and shop there, or have no idea what Debenhams was all about. But Debenhams was a High Street store, a chain, a department store, probably best described as, that its origins date back to the 18th century, had over 100 stores in the UK at its peak. But Debenhams isn't the only shop, department store that we've lost in recent years on the High Street. When you think back a few years ago, we lost British Home Stores, a BHS. That was pretty much synonymous with any High Street that you'd walk down and disappeared from view. We really wanted to doff our cap to Debenhams and say thanks for the memories and maybe just dig into why we think, really understand why those stores have now closed. And we think about other high street stores, as we said. Walworth was the largest chain of shops back in 1979. 800 shops in the UK closed in the 2000s. Whether you went there for your records, your cassettes, your singles, your pick and mix, a haberdashery, DIY. You kind of you kind of have a Woolworths esque shop today in Wilco's, or at least I think that it's like Woolworths. Certainly, is for me. It's my my um, surrogate Woolworths of today. And then for those of you that remember Tandy's, was the electronic store origins out of Australia. It was two hundred and twenty stores worldwide before that closed, and that was predominantly said that it was down to competition, which is what's happening with a lot of these shops, potentially. And then a personal favourite of mine, which is CNA, they started in 1922, and they closed all but 11 of their stores when they finally said goodbye. 11 of those stores were acquired by Primark, and so I guess those of you that are wandering around Primark, you can think about there are memories of CNA there, perhaps. But I think when we look at the loss on the high street, does it really matter? Do we, do we look back and think, oh, well, there's always more stores where those came from? And I think competition's healthy. You know, competition amongst any business is healthy, Re- retail especially. And I think that the introduction of the internet, who now doesn't look for a price at the sea on the high street online to see if it's cost competitive? And a lot of the retail shops on the high street have said, well, you know, it's the internet that's killing the high street. Well, if the high street was as competitive as the internet, it wouldn't be. I would suspect. But then there's a conversation about those stores that are on the high street are paying fairly high rents and rates and the internet stores are not. So is it a like-for-like comparison and is it a fair comparison when you look at an Amazon or any other internet-based shopping experience compared to the likes of a Debenhams or a BHS or a CNA? So I've talked a little bit there about the ones that I miss that are no longer on the high street. So we've talked also a little bit about the internet. But fundamentally, some of these businesses that are now no longer on the high street have failed as businesses because they took on too much debt. Now, that can be a combination of things. It can be expanding too fast. So one of you that one of those, not necessarily a retail, but certainly somewhere where you might have bought coffee or a a sausage roll or a donut is Craig's. Craig's is a 
is a company that has expanded massively over the last few years and is very familiar on the high street and out of town shopping centers. But being able to expand costs money. Now they've managed to do that and it looks like they are doing reasonably well. But a lot of companies can take on too much debt. And one of the things that these big major stores did in recent years is where they owned the asset, where they owned the buildings. They sold those assets to generate cash, which would make the business look better and would be able to pay for various bits the business wanted or make, make their balance sheet look better. But what they then did was they baked in rental payments for the remainder of their life. And so one of the things with debitums is they ended up racking up debt on the balance sheet because they were paying rent. Had they not been paying rent to a landlord, they would have offset that. Now, would that have meant they would have just had, would that have meant they stayed solvent? Would it have meant that we're just delaying the inevitable and they would have closed anyway because these large department stores are a thing of the past? It's difficult to say. But what certainly contributed to some of these really well-known stores closing is the debt, however that's been acquired. And as we say, some of that is through selling of the assets that probably looked like a good idea at the time. And I think, you know, for 10, probably for 10 years for some of these companies, it didn't really make a big difference. But with what's gone on recently, retails really struggled. And if you're getting no income and you've got regular outgoings, it's going to accelerate the impact of that debt. So what does the future of retail look like? Well, maybe the future of retail is already here. You look at the Amazon store that's now open. You look at online shopping, which for many of us now, if we're shopping at all, we're shopping online. We're getting deliveries to the door via van, courier, raw mail, something like that. But there's been a lot of talk about dark stores, and the dark stores are essentially places that I would think a little bit like Argos, you know, the catalogue shops where you turn up, you've already ordered what you want, and you pick that up. Click and collect essentially what that looks like. And for a lot of these retailers, certainly in America, They've been going to the dark store principle because it also keeps that rental cost or the rates cost over here in the UK that we talked about to a minimum because it's it's also in some jurisdictions a different tax setup as well, which keeps those costs down. So really you've just got you've just got that front counter experience. You know, in the UK we've got Screwfix, Toolstation, Argos, all these kinds of stores that are keeping their rental costs to a minimum by having a warehouse full of stuff and a minimum amount of floor space in the high street, but still having a presence. And I think we mentioned the Amazon store. When you look at that, you know, you're going around the store and I've not experienced it yet, but the impression that I've, I've got from what I've seen uh, and what I've read about is you go in, they know it's you as you go into the store, you pick up your items, and you walk out of the store because electronically they know what you've purchased and that will get charged to your account, credit card, whatever method of payment you're using. So that's quite a different feeling, a different experience 
than we currently have where certainly the UK, you know, we're experts of queuing and waiting our turn to pay for our goods. Yeah, and I guess the one thing we didn't cover in terms of the other change in retail is local shopping. How do you support your local shops, your local businesses? You might do one large shop in the week through supermarkets, but there's also the opportunity to look at those artisan shops, those local shops that then complements what you do with your online shopping. And actually an awful lot, certainly through the last 12 months, of these guys, whether they be um, suppliers of ice cream or chocolate or anything like that, they've all moved to having an online presence to support their brick and mortar stores. And again, we talked about supermarkets just there. If you do want to be looking at investing in the retail market, there are certainly in the UK opportunities to invest in most of the major supermarkets, whether it's Tesco's through to Morrison's, all of those guys are listed on the UK Stock Exchange. And there is, although they've done very well in the last 12 months in terms of revenue, there is, again, an awful lot of competition. And online shopping is also an opportunity to those guys as a business, but also a threat. And depending on how they tackle that in the coming years will really depend on how successful those businesses are going forward. So it's very, very important to have a look at their balance sheets and seeing what their strategies are. We certainly know from one of the podcasts where um, Investors Chronicle were talking about Morrison's and they're linking up with Amazon and one of the other online food delivery companies. So they're trying to make links into that space, partly to survive, but also to look to grow the business. So I think this is still a very immature space in terms of how this is going to land in terms of the supermarkets and grocery shopping. Because as we said, you, there's lots of people that want to support the local businesses. There's lots of people that want to get deliveries by shopping online. And there's also people that are just happy to wander around the supermarket and do what we would class, I guess, now as the more traditional type of shopping. So again, keep an eye on that space. There's bound to be some opportunities. But as we say, buy the rumour, sell the news, and don't get caught holding the baby. But for those of you who would be interested in investing in retail, commercial property, that kind of thing, there are ways of doing that, which you might look around and say, well, actually, I don't want to do that <laughs> because, you know, the, the high street retailer is, you know, a dying breed, you could argue. But commercial property generally, there is a market for that. What sort of market is going to be going forward is a debatable point. But I think one of the key things that's come to light in recent years is that if you are going to invest in property, in whatever sector we're talking about here, open-ended funds to the likes of unit trusts, OICs, as we, as we call them, open-ended investment companies are probably not a very good way of investing in property and the commercial sector, simply because the assets that are being purchased are not very liquid meaning they're not very easy to sell and get your cash for. So therefore, in a situation where a particular market's going downhill quickly, the companies and the investment companies have got to sell units and raise cash when they've done long-term investing in property. So one of the alternative ways of looking at that 
is to perhaps think about investing through an investment trust because that is a situation where the companies don't need to sell assets because when those shares are traded, they're traded like a single company stock on the stock market. It's not the creation and destruction. It's simply buying and selling of stocks or units of stock. It's not the creation and then removal of those units like it would be with unit trust or a like. And so therefore, the liquidity issues with investment trusts are not quite so much of a concern. Having said that, nothing, as we know, is risk-free. So we'll just have a look at a few property funds. So we talked about property funds or property investment trusts. So one is TR Property Investment Trust, PLC. That's a £1.7 billion fund. Got a little bit of gearing, so 119% gearing. So that's that's almost 20% gear, geared, but that's quite common for an investment trust. So that pays a 3.2% dividend at this current moment and is on a slight discount as an investment trust. So when you look at what they hold, they hold real estate, unsurprisingly, and that's across Germany, United Kingdom, France, Sweden, Belgium, etc. So it's very much a European fund. And it's interesting that they hold uh, almost a third of the fund in Germany. There's a high percentage of rental going on in Germany. And the annual charge on that fund is just under 2%. So another fund here is Aberdeen UK Property. So this is a fund in the property sector. It's an OIC. So we said an open invest, open-ended investment company, unit trust is the phrase that I'd prefer to use because I can remember what that is. So again, there's a reasonably sized fund, 800 million. Interestingly enough, this, this fund has three holdings, which doesn't strike me as very many, but I think that's the way they've structured it here. This holds direct property and REITs, which is real estate investment trusts. So they're actually diversifying into investment trusts themselves. So the historic yield on this unit trust is 2.5%, and the charges on this are about 1.3%, so lower than the investment trust. And these figures are taken from Hargreaves, Lansdowne's website. So bear in mind, those charges will change across providers. So one of the other ones we'll just pick up on here, which had a little bit of a challenging last 12 months is BMO Commercial Property. So that's BMO Commercial Property Trust Limited. Again, this is an investment trust. Obviously, as the title suggests, investing in commercial property. So this is a £1.2 billion fund. As we said, this is an investment trust. So this is a close-ended fund. It pays, certainly at the moment, 6.8% dividend yield. Currently on a 31% discount. And discounts, as we've discussed before with investment trusts, is an interesting way of looking at things because that can be viewed as positive or negative. If the fund closed tomorrow, you would get that 31% back, assuming that the net asset value is 31% higher than the share price. But also it suggests that this trust is underperforming. You can buy the stock for a lot less than its net asset value, which you could view as a bargain. You could also view fairly negatively in terms of performance. But I guess that still at the moment, we don't quite know where the commercial property market is going to going to land. We don't get much information in terms of what they're investing in, other than as the title suggests. 
But there you've got three funds, which are very different, very different in yield, fairly similar in size, but different ways of buying property. And again, that, that's one way of looking at this. If you want to get into property, you don't always have to go and buy the property. You can let a fund manager do that for you, and you can buy and sell the stock associated with that. So it's a very hands-off way of buying property. And there are other ways. But we perhaps won't go into those today. So I hope that's been a good overview of the retail sector. We'll uh, no doubt delve into this again in the future as things change and we understand a little bit more about where retail is going. But for now, I say thank you for listening. If you can rate and review the podcast, that would be great. As I say, we're now putting material together for the YouTube channel as well to put some slides to these podcasts. So as we've said, we're putting some some words to our chatter. So if there's any subjects or areas that we're not covering, then get in touch and let us know. It'd be great to understand how you guys are enjoying the podcast and also what areas that you're looking to invest in. So, so thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time. This program has been presented for information and educational purposes only. None of the information or content of the programme is to be taken as an offer, opinion or recommendation by the programme's hosts or guests to buy or sell securities, nor is it intended to provide legal, tax, accounting, commercial or financial advice. Opinions and comments are based on information from sources believed to be reliable. All investing involves risk as prices go up or down based on a number of factors. Always consider consulting a financial professional before investing.